very direct in what it claims to have concluded. And it says that four days of meditation training, so that's four days, what? can enhance the ability to sustain attention. Okay. So all sorry, what were you saying? No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. Carry <laughs> on. Keep going. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that really threw me. Welcome back to Secular Buddhism for Skeptical Atheists. This is the show for people of all religious backgrounds who want to learn how to use concepts from modern Buddhism to improve their lives real time right now today. <laughs> right? Immediately. Why not? My name is Mike Hoffman. I am joined by... Dougie Robertson. Dougie Robertson. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm very well. Welcome. Thank you. I guess this is kind of where it's all been leading up to right mm, the yeah. science of meditation mm. we've talked a lot about mindfulness yes it's come up in every episode a mm-hmm. lot we've talked about the importance of being able to identify the thoughts that are running through your head mm. rather than just experiencing them yeah just suffering from them we want to be able to say why is that in my head what am i thinking about it If it's taking me to a bad place, where is that coming from? Mm. And why do I need to follow it to that bad place? And that's mindfulness. Have I missed anything? No, I don't think so. I think it's an interesting thing when you try and define it because there's just so actually so much to say. Mm -hmm. And in so few words, to try and get your hands around that concept is tough. Yes. Something that we have kind of intentionally shied away from so far, for the most part, is meditation. Mm. Yeah, we've maybe mentioned it couple of times and then moved swiftly on yeah this podcast is called secular buddhism for skeptical atheists and skeptical is really the part that i want to dig into today Mm. it's the concept that we're not just going to take things uh on face value Mm. as we're giving them and you can argue that parts of this we've had a little bit of science there's been a couple of meta-analyses but a lot of it can sound sort of common sense ish yes in air quotes or anecdotal you know you um say this is this good thing that you can do from buddhism and this has been my experience of it yeah this is what other people report um but it turns out meditation and potentially by extension the mindfulness that it gives you the ability to to uh, wield Mm. has been researched to a pretty decent degree at this point in time yeah so let's talk about meditation do you meditate yes not as much as i should but i'm always trying to meditate more uh-huh. and when you meditate what does that look like so i'm not talking about visuals like i don't need to know yeah. if you're in cross your my legs yeah. On a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i i start with my eyes open i think that's an interesting thing to mention okay so i think when people imagine i think a lot of people imagine something similar to sleeping actually yes. which is why i'm traumatized by hearing that your watch records it as sleep yes Yes, well, that's the thing, because I'm not moving, and it happens immediately after my main bit of sleep, I guess. <laughs> but you're right. People imagine eyes closed. They imagine cross legs. They may, might imagine levitating. I've not yet levitated, <laughs> yeah. um, as far as I'm aware. So I start with my eyes open, just a soft focus, and then and then I'll follow what the, the chap in my headphones is saying. Okay. Uh, but that will... And what's he saying? Well, that will depend on what I'm doing, but it will always start with a focus on my breathing right mm-hmm. which okay. actually is very i would say i'm i'm not there yet i mean if you try not to think <laughs> about your breathing 
you start consciously breathing. Probably half the people listening to this now are desperately trying to remember to breathe now that yeah, they feel that I'm, they're in control. I feel like of I'm it. about to pass out now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that in itself is quite, that's just quite difficult. Mm-hmm. But uh, then, if, then I'll, I will then close my eyes. Might have a bit of incense on, quite like a bit of incense, although I recently was diagnosed with asthma, so I'm probably not supposed to fill the house <laughs> with smoke uh, anymore. But some, just something to focus my mind. Uh, or something to come back to specifically. So I sit there, just try and focus on my breathing. Eventually, I discover I'm not focusing on my breathing. I'm focusing on what I'm going to have for dinner or or my to-do list. Uh, <laughs> and then I'll realize that I'm doing that. And then I think, oh, <laughs> you silly Billy. And then I'll come back <laughs> to my breathing. Okay. And it's just that kind of cycle. Okay. so uh, For fo- however long I've planned to do it. Focusing on one thing finding that you're distracted, focusing on back on that thing again once you realize that you've been distracted. Yes, in a nutshell, yes. And keeping that going. Okay, so we'll come back to that because that really is, I think, at the core of mindfulness meditation, which yes. is a nice basic place for everyone to start from. And I say basic, but just mastering mindfulness meditation is so difficult that it's nigh on impossible. Yeah, I would say I'm finding it sufficiently challenging so Mm. as to not feel particularly tempted by progressing any further at this point. But the good news is that the point is not trying to master it. Yes. The good news is that the point is going through the process of trying to get there is what really makes some changes in your brain, in your psyche, and in your body. Yes. Whilst also not trying too hard to get there anyway. Yeah. So... That's something that we'll talk about. When I'm meditating, what that looks like is somewhere around 10 to 30 minutes. And that's I've discovered that's quite a lot for me. So that is a lot. Sometimes I feel like if I'm going to shoot for 30 minutes, I'm just not going to do it that day. Mm. So I need to accept that today just needs to be a two minutes kind of day because mm. I'd rather do just two minutes than nothing. Mm. But I sit in... Uh, relatively comfortable spot i like to sit upright on a sofa mm-hmm. or on the edge of my bed or mm. in a, an office chair is pretty good mm. i go with my eyes closed i quite like that i like eyes closed mm-hmm. and my meditation is entirely thinking about my breath i mm. don't try and do anything more advanced than that mm. i don't actually count my breaths either do you count your breathing not usually but okay. sometimes headspace chap says oh let's count up and you just count up and when you get to 10 then you go back to one okay and as a mechanism for realizing how often you forget to focus on the breath that's quite interesting but yeah, i don't do it that often mm-hmm. what's common between both of those and an awful lot of different types of meditation mindfulness meditation um is that attempt to think just about the one thing and that one thing generally being your breathing mm. uh Meditation is often perceived as an attempt to just relax Mm. or sometimes um, an attempt to spend the time, like we've talked in previous episodes, actively thinking about our thought process and trying to Mm. deconstruct our thoughts, identify um, when our ego is talking too loud, all of that sort of thing. Now, that that is valid. That's That's a type of meditation. But we're focusing specifically here on mindfulness meditation. Mm. And the reason I say it's good news that you can spend your whole life doing mindfulness meditation and never mastering it uh, is that really you can kind of think of meditation as going to the gym, but for your mind. Yes, I like, I like that analogy, actually. Right. Yeah. So uh, 
just I like to go and lift weights at the gym. You do. But I am so far from having mastered that. And I would kind of argue that no one in the world can really master that. Because how do you quantify mastering yeah. lifting weights? There's always a next. There's always a bigger. Mm-hmm. So and it really, it's the, it's the same thing with meditation. Yes. You are just on a journey of getting better and better. Mm. And so this is where I think we should start diving into the science. Yeah, I think that's important here, particularly here. Because it's easy to wonder if, okay, I'm never going to master this thing uh, and I'm not particularly working towards a goal of being an excellent meditator or something like that. And I'm not trying to uh, relax myself in this session. What Mm. am I actually doing? Is there any point to this at all? Mm. Um, But there is, and we're going to get into this right now. Yes. One of my yoga teachers, David, hi, David, uh, recommended, he promised he's going to listen to this. He recommended a book to me called Full Catastrophe Living, written by this guy called John Kabat-Zinn. And John Kabat-Zinn, a lot of what we think about as mindfulness in the modern day, he was the bridge between the original Eastern tradition and, and incorporating it into not only Western culture, but also into Western medicine. And he ran a clinic where he he got people who for whom other treatments hadn't worked, uh, who were stressed, who were anxious, and he took them on for eight weeks, and they did a program, a very structured program of mindfulness meditation. I think they did some hatha yoga, so some relatively gentle yoga as well, and they saw results. Their stress was reduced. Right. Their anxiety was reduced. Okay. But equally, he had reports from people who had sort of skimped a bit on their meditation or their yoga and they'd come to him and say, oh yeah, well, I stopped meditating and now I'm feeling really stressed again. Hmm. And he'd say, well, you've answered your own question <laughs> because it just works. And when I say works, there are multiple ways. There are multiple ways in which it works and they're, they're sort of being studied in an ongoing way. This was in 1979. He originally founded the clinic. So we're what? We're about 40 years into this now. Mm-hmm. And so it's become, originally it was seen as a, a bit hippie a bit sort of, you know, does this really work? Are we just, you know, are we all just sitting in a room chanting? And no, you say originally, but I think that that is still kind of where we're at now. There's a little bit more general acceptance of this. But the yeah. reason I think we wanted to make this episode is because, especially for sceptical atheists and people who, you know, uh, don't like to just be told, you should do this because it's good for you. Yes. Uh, it's sort of hard to believe that there are benefits but there are quite well researched benefits so the point here is although you're not trying to master this just the act of doing this every day going to that mental gym will do a whole bunch of stuff for your brain and we're going to talk about some of those now so uh, dougie you found this um really amazing article when you were doing your research on this uh yes so i found this article by mark manson Mm -hmm. um who many again many of our listeners may have heard of he wrote a very successful book called well one of my favorite books uh, which is called the subtle art of not giving a fuck although he puts an asterisk in the u but it means fuck Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and in a piece he writes about meditation Uh, He cites a lot of results that have been observed in studies in meditation, and we'll put it in the show notes because each of his each of his claims in this list has a citation and a study that it ties back to. Um, It all boils down to, I should say, this idea of neuroplasticity. I think we need to. Well, do this is something that you've spoken to me about quite a lot. I think it's it's almost a passion subject for you. Well, I just find it really interesting that 
I think we have this idea that the way our brains are is in many ways quite a, fi- a fixed property, mm. especially in a physical sense. But the fact that the fact that scientists are now using MRIs and EEGs to demonstrate physical changes in the brain that happen based on meditation sort of blows my mind. Even as someone who is, I, I experience the positive benefits of meditation in my daily life and equally miss them when I stop meditating. Mm. But even then, the fact that our brain can rewire itself well, yeah. So let's talk about that. Like before we get into the emotional benefits, let's mm. talk. Let's just be quite clear about the fact that meditating, and this is proven by randomized controlled trials, mm. comparing with people that are actively not meditating. Yeah, um, meditating is associated with increased cortical thickness. That's right. Right. So physical change. Yeah, and it's correlated with larger hippocampal and frontal volumes of gray matter. Now, look, these are these are <laughs> wordy terms. These are direct lifted from um, the titles of a couple of studies and analyses here. And they're all going to be linked in the notes. They're mm-hmm. also all going to be coming from Mark's article, yes. which we are borrowing heavily from today. Thank you, Mark. The point that I'm trying to make really is all the other stuff aside... This makes it very hard to be skeptical that meditation can have some sort of effect on the brain because yes. we can we can see li- literally just like going to the gym, lifting weights is going to build up your biceps. Yes. Going to the mental gym, doing a bit of meditation, doing yeah. it long term and mm. working on yourself is going to change the literal shape and makeup of your brain. Yes. And we know that gray matter is a good thing to have. Yeah. You carry out this activity that mm. people have been carrying out for thousands of years, incidentally, mm-hmm. and your brain will change in shape and it will do different things yep. observably is, I think, quite a powerful starting point. There is no stronger evidence than this physical, this physical evidence. How about if I told you that there are studies out there showing people in experimental conditions being asked to show self-control? So, for example... Um, to resist the temptation to go for chocolate just sitting out on the tray in front oh, of them. Okay, that already sounds quite hard. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's that's hard for me in general. Um, but then they're tracked on whether they then go for the chocolate after they've had to do a stressful, like say a really difficult puzzle mm-hmm. challenge thing or answer a very personal questionnaire, something mm, like that. So okay. they, they call that self-control depletion mm. exercise. Okay. So... Uh, Frieza, Messner, and Schaefner did a study on self-control depletion that involved having people do a mindfulness meditation exercise. So after the depletion event, so having to do this challenging thing, resist mm. the chocolate, mm-hmm. um, they were then asked to meditate, mm. focus inwards on their thinking, okay. and then put back in that same scenario. And in self-control depletion theory people will get less and less good at showing restraint as time goes on. Okay, so it's like a finite amount of restraint that you can use, basically. Essentially. So what they found was that for the people that did the mindfulness meditation, that brought their self-control levels right back up to where it was at the previous round. Wow. And they were just as good at showing restraint around the chocolate as they were to begin with. Now, personal abilities aside, you know, everyone is going to be different. I'm definitely going to put up my hand and say I'm not going to be as good as everyone else at showing self-control. But at least uh, according to this study, I'm going to be 
only as bad as I was the last time after doing a bit of meditation. Definitely rings true for me. Yes. So meditation will reduce stress and anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, but we haven't really qualified that much. So I began by talking a bit about John Kabat-Zinn and his uh, stress reduction clinic, he calls it, uh, in the book. Um, That's now referred to as MBSR, a mindfulness-based stress reduction program. And there's one study in particular from 2011, so not that long ago, um, that took a look at 11 of these eight-week programs and combines uh, feedback from the people who participated. 11 programs, that's that's a lot. That's a lot, right? There's a lot of potential variation. There's... Mm-hmm. That's enough to, to know that it's different people going through this scenario in you know their own context yes different times different places yeah yes and it turns out the feedback they got from all these different people across pittsburgh was very easy to categorize into very clear subheadings right basically so they talk about this idea of awareness so being able to step back from my thoughts in order to view them more clearly right and with that also being in the present Mm -hmm. and and following on from that with this awareness being able to pause and they say take a breath and then they also use the word serenity this this feeling of being calm of being centered and then the subtle shift in perspective as well that comes about with this practice if you're consistent with it over in this case eight weeks mm-hmm. and the thing about that of course is it's 74 people across 11 11 that's quite good but mm-hmm. there is another there is another paper from the following year uh, which isn't, I should say, isn't a set of studies. It's it's a meta-analysis. It's evaluating a whole bunch of other studies that have already been done yes. and trying to tie them together, see if there's anything con- conclusive from that. Exactly. So this looks at 36 randomized control trials, um, of which 25 reported a statistically superior outcome in the group of people who were meditating compared to what they call the control group, so the people who weren't meditating specifically symptoms of anxiety that were being expressed. So we're not talking about people literally being cured of clinically diagnosed anxiety. Right. But the things that that clinically diagnosed anxiety causes, those symptoms that are causing real distress, were markedly improved in the majority of cases. Yep. The majority of us day-to-day are dealing with either minor anxieties or you have a whole bunch of anxieties that have built up over time that need dealing with. We're, we're seeing here that we're talking about thousands of participants here that will, again, we'll link this in the show notes. People are seeing statistically significant improvements to their symptoms. Yeah. And I mean, this is a very real result, right? This is These are people who suffer from, for example, suffer from panic attacks, finding that they are getting fewer panic attacks mm-hmm. as a result of making this small but consistent change in what they do every day. Yeah. And I think that's really compelling. Mm, I agree. The next one on Mark Manson's list is a little bit mind-blowing. I know you said that when we were doing some research here. Yeah. Uh, it's And it relates more to the health impact. So this is relatively early stage research, but it's, again, it's a review. It's, an, it's a meta-analysis. What it finds is, how did Mark put it? Uh, makes you physically healthier. So people who meditate on average sleep better, have lower heart rates, lower blood pressure, get sick less often. I mean, that is mind-blowing, right? It's quite... Yeah. I mean, the conclusion that they've come to in there is that now that we think that that seems to be the case, at least it's very much correlated together. So people who meditate or who have gone through these trials where they've been asked to meditate have better outcomes. They now need to understand 
why and how that takes place. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know about you, but I think um, quite a powerful aspect of that is just your own sense of well-being within yourself. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely something I already observe in myself. I'd say however you define well-being. Well, um, let's take the example of painkillers. So there are studies out there that show that if you take something like paracetamol or for the Americans, acetaminophen, um, you will be able to recover from something like a cold a little bit faster. And it's um, call that placebo effect if you want to. Um, but there's something very real about the placebo effect. Yeah. If someone feels better, they feel better. And whether the mechanism for that is then that their body has less internal stress impeding its ability to then heal, I don't, I, I don't know for certain. I think that's something that's still in progress in research. But I think this points to a, a similar thing here from my reading of it. I mean, if you feel better, it's hard to say it and not sound wishy-washy, but if you if you feel in a better place, then you're sort of better equipped to deal with everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe that extends to your physical body too. Mm-hmm. And hey, I'm not here to say that we are on the breaking cutting edge of science and that we know all the answers. There's so many things, um, even in just basic physics and chemistry and biology that we don't still understand. And meditation is still one quite far out there. Mm. So a lot of these are at the early stages. But I mean, this is, again, from this is bringing together a lot of research that is pointing in the same direction yes and i guess it's also beginning to explore this connection between the mind and the and the body i think we often think about mental health and physical health as being two relatively discrete things Mm -hmm. and i think in this area of research more and more the people who are researching this are exploring the overlap between those two two factors so something that's another result of meditation into which there's now quite a lot of research um, is the idea that it can increase your emotional stability. Okay. So that's, you know, if you're someone who's really prone to outbursts of anger or feeling particularly sad, the idea is that meditation can help people not not feel these emotions. They'll still be there, but they can, it can help people regulate and to an extent control their emotions and also how how those emotions control them. They use the term mindful emotion regulation. Okay, and I think it follows, doesn't it? So if we know that, um, or at least Buddhism teaches us that uh, meditation is a way of strengthening our ability to take a step back, realize when the thoughts or actions that we're having are not quite conducive to good happiness for everyone. Yes, Um, gently sort of intervening. mm -hmm. And that we know that there's strong proof that meditation causes physical changes in the brain and that that meditation is linked with that mindfulness then i I guess it would it makes sense that it might strengthen your ability to stop yourself if you are prone to expressing that yes poorly yeah in a prominent way yes yeah that does make sense and another really concrete uh, result of meditation that actually this is one i have experienced is that uh, it can increase memory and help you think more clearly. Okay. So there's this study um, that's actually very, very direct in what it claims to have concluded. And it says that four days of meditation training, so that's four days, what? can enhance the ability to sustain attention. Okay. So all sorry, what to- were you saying? No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. Carry <laughs> on. Keep going. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that really threw me. Um, yes. So it's not that you have to spend hours every day 
to see these kind of results. It's, you know, this is four days. I mean, it could well be that they did quite a lot of meditation on each of those four days. I'd have to dig further into it. But they use the word brief. Brief mindfulness training. Significantly improved visuospatial processing, working memory, and executive functioning. Yeah. You know what? Can I read a specific sentence from this? Yeah, do, do. This is a good abstract. It's amazing. After four sessions of either meditation training or listening to a recorded book, which was a control condition, (laughs) participants with no prior meditation experience were assessed with measures of mood, verbal fluency, visual coding, and working memory. Both interventions were effective at improving mood, but only brief meditation training managed to reduce fatigue, anxiety, and it increased mindfulness. And yes, it did all the things that you said about spatial, visual spatial processing, memory, executive function. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's crazy. Yeah. After four days. Yeah. I mean, well done, trainees. Yeah. That's great. And so a last one that I think is great to finish up this kind of brief journey through the uh, science of meditation world is, okay, something that I identify quite a lot with is an increased sense of empathy so I found as I got more and more into meditation I would get positive side effects that were not things that I was actively gunning for Hmm. so quite often when I meditate when I journal there's a specific type of better person that I'm trying to be so I have a goal I'm trying to like get over my anxiety of this thing (laughs) or learn to um, show more understanding and patience in that thing but Something I realized as I was getting into a more heavy meditation uh, I don't know, time in my life, I could tell that it was increasing my degree of empathy because it was by extension of me understanding what was going on in my own head. I was gradually increasing awareness of what may be going on in other people's heads rather than just making an assumption mm, on their okay. behalf. You know, someone got in my way in life or mm. said an off comment to me that I didn't like, you know, trying to understand actually where that might be coming from. Okay. But I think a further extension of that was then putting myself in other people's shoes, I think may have triggered me to start trying to understand the types of suffering that I might be causing them indirectly. Mm. And thinking, you know, things like I've been well aware of the significant lack of water in huge chunks of South Africa that has Mm. been persisting for like over a year now. Okay. Um, and that was the closest thing that I, I could come to for an explanation. And that sounds a bit woolly on its own. And I understand, you know, there's a bit of a leap in logic there. I don't know. But the last study that we're going to link to in the show notes here is called Compassion Meditation Enhances Empathic Accuracy and Related Neural Activity. And that to me, especially with the last part, is an extra layer of just fascination mm. waiting to be uncovered. So... What this study did was get people to prove their degrees of empathy, in air quotes, and Mm. it did did that by testing them with a test that's called See the Mind mind Behind the Eyes? Uh, Reading the Mind in the Eyes. Reading the Mind in the Eyes, just like I said. And uh, so it showed pictures of a pair of eyes and basically asked the person being tested to identify the emotion. And that's hard, you know, without... It's very hard. We focus a lot on eyes, and there's a lot expressed through the eyes, but without the context of the face, the body language, it's really tough to be able to pick something out from Mm. that. Um, But what it found, and this was a large uh, controlled trial, so it had a control uh, of people not doing meditation of any sort, and an experimental group of people doing... um, uh, what what did they call it? Com- uh, cognitive based compassion training. 
mm. which was presented in a in a secular way, but it involved a lot of meditation and it was based on very very traditional Buddhist methods. Yeah, and found that not only did the people doing the meditation have better results on the empathy tests, they were able to identify more readily what the eyes were saying about the soul. <laughs> um, but also these tests were carried out under fMRI and the people who had taken part in this meditative training had significantly more activity, neurological activity in areas of the brain directly related to empathy. So areas that have been previously identified and I'm looking in the notes now and forgive me if I get this wrong, but I'm going to try. So uh, they called out the uh, inferior front. Nope. That's one. Yeah. Yeah. The IFG. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the inferior frontal gyrus. Gyrus. That's right. Yep. Uh, The left superior temporal sulcus. Mm hmm. Uh, the right anterior STS as well, the prefrontal cortex. I mean, all all sorts of areas that have been previously identified as being related to empathy lit up more powerfully after meditation. And I think as a as one to close out on, that is pretty compelling, don't you think? Yeah, I, I do. And I also think it ties in really nicely to, to what is often understood as being one of the, the motivations, the goals behind meditative practice. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually, I, the thing, something that caught my eye about this study is they actually indirectly quote the Dalai Lama in the uh, in the right. first sentence. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they say, I'll just read it out because it's just quite well put. Um, it says, a fundamental goal of most meditative practices is to enhance compassionate thoughts, feelings, and behaviors towards others. I mean, I couldn't have put it better than that, really. It's pretty nice. Yeah. So... Some of these are areas of science that are still new and developing. I mean, let's definitely, be honest, yeah. the majority of them are. Yeah, definitely. But the point here is that this is not just um, a bunch of guff being pulled out of someone's bum. It's like <laughs> it's being studied. It's having direct impacts on people that were in ways that we're just only starting to understand now. It's quite exciting, really, just to think what will happen in the next 10, 20 years in terms of research in this area. Yeah, and the good news is, I mean, uh, several of these studies, something we didn't mention is that several of them call out the fact that no negative, no downsides were observed. Nobody was coming out of these meditative courses or sessions saying, oh, something bad has come of this. Yeah, so, yeah it's worth mentioning that, I think. Yeah, because although we are no, we don't understand the full benefits right now, there are, there's no sign of any negatives. And even if we don't know what all the benefits are yet, we know that if you do meditation now, there's a good chance that you're going to benefit from them. Yes. I would say it's very unlikely that you won't observe some change in yourself mm-hmm. quite soon. Mm-hmm. It's just do the meditation and see what happens. So be curious. Right. So uh, to wrap up that section about the the science, we need to say a big thank you to Mark Manson for the article of his that we've very heavily pulled from because he really did bring together a great range of uh, studies that are out there um, in published journals yes and made life easy for us so thank you mark everyone buy his book yes the subtle art of not giving a fuck is is a just a brilliant book there's also there's a new book now he's got another one something about the world is fucked or something but i'm sure as with the subtle art of not giving a fuck it's not that the world is actually that's not i've not read it so i don't feel qualified no. So why don't we talk about uh, just a basic meditation that people can do? 
Yeah, that'd be good. That's very practical. And this is something for everyone. This is something people of all ages can do. This is this is a type of meditation that is hopefully pretty accessible to um, most people. It certainly helps me start to build up that strength to refocus my mind. But here you go. Here's what it looks like. So first you need the place that you're going to meditate. Okay. So you want to start with somewhere that is relatively distraction-free. Mm. Basic sounds, you know... Don't let yourself get hung up if you live in a house and you're doing it from home that is on a road where you're going to hear, you know, a lot of sirens, car noise, whatever, because that's, you know, yeah. such is life. Yeah, yeah. I read something today. They said, um, if you've got a door you can close, then like close that door. Yeah, but exactly. It's not about sealing yourself off from all sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in meditation as in life. Um, <laughs> Quite. Second, people can get a little hung up on what your physical positioning should be. So a lot of people say, get a cushion, sit on the floor, cross your legs, mm. you know, touch your thumb and your middle finger together and do an om. Like, I don't, I, for the purposes of this, that's not as necessary. What is more necessary is that you find a position that you can sit in comfortably for a while. Yeah, I, th- I think that is important. Yeah, you don't want your seating position to be a distraction for you and you don't need to be worried about whether you have the right perfect upright posture or not. You just want to be able to switch off thinking about that aspect of things for a little while. Okay. Third is the timing. So some of these studies do show that the longer you spend engaged in this, the better the effect that you have but in terms of habit formation asking people to start with 30 minutes of meditation every single day is a really big ask yeah i wouldn't recommend that Mm -hmm. i've pretty much tried that and it didn't work and i find that if i i i shoot for that but if i tie myself to that requirement i just then don't do it Mm. i get to a point where i go i can't do 30 minutes today so bye and that's not really what i'm trying to achieve (laughs) so like me, you can start to get comfortable with the idea of just doing two minutes a day. Everyone's got two minutes. Five minutes is a little bit better. And if you can push yourself to 10, then great. I mean, most people can can hopefully find 10 minutes at some point. But five, five is a nice middle ground there. Mm. You'll find that five to 10 minutes can, can feel like a real stretch anyway. Yeah. That time really stretches out. So start with around that length of time if you can give it longer great go for it but don't let that be a barrier for yourself so in these first three things what i'm trying to get across is with your place your seating arrangements your timing don't be so strict with yourself that it stops you from being able to do it just find something that's comfortable you're not going to distract yourself with worrying about the noise worrying about your seating worrying about the time you're taking out from real life Mm. just let yourself go for it yeah so what happens next is you close your eyes Mm, Or you leave them open. Yeah. Soft focus, they call it, right? Yeah. Not important. A lot of people will tell you to focus on your breathing. To follow your breathing is a term that I hear a lot. Yeah. Don't get hung up on what that means to you. All that you need to do is breathe and be aware of how it feels to breathe. Yeah, I think that's a good start. Don't beat yourself up if as soon as you start trying to follow your breathing... You find that you are consciously breathing and desperately trying to remember to keep breathing because if you stop thinking about it, then you'll stop. Because actually, you know, we breathe all the time. And if we had to remember to breathe, it'd all be dead (laughs) really quickly. Um, But what you do want to focus on is the sensation of the breath. So the fact that it's your breathing is a little bit arbitrary. It's 
not that there's something magical in breath. Mm. It's just that that's something that we are all guaranteed to be doing is breathing. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. So your one job is to realize how it feels within you if you are breathing. The next step is distraction. And it would be amazing if any of us were able to just focus on our breathing nonstop. But it's just not the case. Even the most experienced meditator, I believe, is going to be distracted by a thought at some point. Yes. So at some point as you're breathing, you're thinking about how it feels in your throat, your chest, your stomach as it rises and falls, whatever. Before you know it, you won't know when it's happened, but you'll realize, oh, I've just been thinking about the dog. Yeah. You know? Potentially for a little while. Uh-huh. And it's tough not to because dogs are amazing to think about. Yeah, I'm thinking about dogs now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the shopping or, oh, there's this thing that I need to do later. Yes. Yeah. All of those thoughts, it's fine that that happened. Do not beat yourself up, but put it to the side and bring yourself back to thinking about the breath. Now it's impossible to stop thinking a thought, right? Yeah, you yeah. cannot you cannot make a, a thought go silent. No. But you can bring the breath back to the forefront of the mind. Yeah. And that's the goal. So you're sitting in position, you're comfortable. That's so that you can remove the distraction of worrying about your comfort. But you know what? If that does happen, you need to move. Don't beat yourself up, just move. And then you're focusing on your breath. And every time you get pulled away from thinking about your breath and how it feels, mm. you go, oh, that's okay. And then you restart thinking about your breath again. Yeah. And that's it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. It is simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy. But it's like it, we've we've used the metaphor a lot of going to the gym and lifting weights. And you shouldn't. the reason you shouldn't beat yourself up when you get distracted is because every time you get distracted by a thought, it pulls you away. And you pull yourself back to thinking about your breath again that is like a repetition yeah that is one bicep curl or that yes. is one squat yeah okay yeah i like that way of thinking of it yeah you're you're strengthening that that neural pathway that allows you to keep your mind focused on just one thing to the extent that you're not thinking about the other stuff just for a moment yeah okay so every distraction is actually a success when you bring yourself back to it yeah and just like going to the gym, it's tiring. So at a certain point, you just might not have the stamina to keep going anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's possible, especially at first. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. But what I would recommend is so that you're not worrying and kind of cracking an eye open and seeing what the time is and all the rest, it's worth setting a timer just so that you've got enough. Um, oh, definitely. I would say that's really important, actually. Yeah, so okay. you've got to... It feels like a long time, like two, five minutes will feel a lot longer than five minutes, especially the first time you do it. Yeah. Uh, play that back to me. Did I cover all of that okay? We're sitting comfortably. Mm. Your eyes, people always think about your eyes. Your eyes can be open. Your eyes can be closed. If you're able to have your eyes open and are comfortable about not getting distracted by yes. looking at this thing or that thing, you know, you can see yes. the shopping list over there yeah. on the counter. I think that that's that's why I close my eyes because yeah. they talk about, meditation teachers often talk about a soft focus into the middle distance. Right. But my mind is already being pulled all over the place. If I'm having to stop my eyes from also being pulled all over the place, that, for me, that's just too much gymnastics at once. Right. Yep. So, um, but, you know, experiment, uh, play with it. Um, you should, all of this, you sh you know, don't take it too seriously. Your your mind will be much more receptive if you play with this rather than treat it as a sort of, you know, really a stern exercise. I think that that's really important to mention. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
you you start I was going to say you start breathing obviously you will already be breathing at this point okay, yeah. um, but bring so your... use your lungs for the first time <laughs> yeah so focus focus on the breathing focus on the air coming in the air going out and the sensation of that in your body yeah and to be clear when we say focus on your breathing it is just feel what it feels like yeah notice it yeah. notice it it's not like right i'm going to breathe in i'm going to breathe out it's not it's not a sort of an exaggerated style of breathing you're not breathing any differently ideally mm-hmm. you're just noticing oh i'm breathing that's interesting i'm going to follow that and keep following that now some people talk about counting and there so a slight variation on this is every time you breathe in count one mm. and then breathe out and mm. then breathe in and count two and breathe out mm. and every time you find that you've been distracted mm. and you start focusing on your breath again you go yeah. back to one yeah now I think that's a really great way of doing things. It gives you a yardstick mm. for how um, how many breaths you've managed to get through. Helps yeah. you know if you're improving your ability to focus for longer periods of time. Yeah, um, it can be quite interesting. But it can also be um, like the the act of counting in itself can potentially be a bit of a distraction. Mm. It can open up, I think, opportunities for you to. Uh, I think judge yourself a little bit more harshly if you yes. you know you've got through a certain count and yeah. then you're having to explicitly be starting again. Yes. So whatever works for you, do mm. it. Mm. There's no right or wrong way. Um, for me personally, I don't do the count. Yes. That that's completely up to you. I just wanted to uh, name check the fact that it is an option. Yes. Yeah. I think it's it's funny. I think if you're one of those people for whom it would just be sort of interesting and fun, then maybe it's quite useful. But if you're one of those people who, you know, who always wants to squeeze out one more rep and always wants to add an extra five kilos, mm. um, then maybe that's not, maybe it wouldn't serve you that well. It's John Kabat-Zinn talks a lot about this idea of non-striving. And I know we've also talked a lot about the goals of meditation. So the mm-hmm. interplay between meditating without striving is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think if you are if you feel like you're counting and you're getting really cross with yourself because you got up to seven last time and this time I only got up to five, yeah. then stop would be <laughs> would probably be the best thing Just to do. Just stop. Yeah. Um, I wanted to wrap this up by reassuring you that there is a reason to be doing this. Something that I get hung up on all the time is... Uh, you know, sometimes I'll do a meditation session and afterwards I'll feel really relaxed and nice, which mm. although we're not striving to relax ourselves, it's not a relaxation session. It's a mindfulness session. Mm. Um, it's still a great benefit. And then other times I come out of it and I feel like fine and normal. Yeah. And day to day, it's not like I'm like screaming out for the chance to meditate. So occasionally it's easy for me to skip a session because I'm like, well, mm. what am I really getting from it but remember that every time you do take part in some form of meditation some mindfulness meditation we have um, a whole bunch of studies that we've run through just a couple of uh, in this episode that show there are significant changes happening in your brain happening in the way that you deal with yourself in the world and that every instance of time that you're doing that is bringing you a little bit closer to a healthier space yeah so just don't forget that it's like it's like going to the gym it is just bringing you step by step a little bit closer to a healthy brain yeah try it i you know with an open mind mm-hmm. 
And there are apps. There are uh, so many apps. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Just there do, are a lot do of a apps, search, yeah. find one. Um, you can do it with music. You can do it without music. Uh, but I, I really recommend just trying, sit in a comfortable space, take a breath, see if you can just feel how that breath feels. Chances are you can do that for one. Yeah. You can take one breath in and just experience your chest expanding your stomach rising or not rising does it rise i don't know that that's something that's going to be unique to that one breath so mm. feel it find it out and if you can do one you can probably potentially do a second one then you've already doubled your personal best mm. but if you get distracted in between your first and second one then refocus again and you've done one big repetition on the weightlifting of the mind <laughs> yeah. okay i mean this is starting to unravel a little bit shall we close up yeah let's yeah Okay. It's a good metaphor to an extent, though. But, uh, to yeah. an extent, yes. Yeah. Nicely yeah. qualified. Yeah. Okay, so social media. If you have any questions about this episode or any of our others, you can contact me on the social medias. My handle is OMG Mike Hoffman. And mine is D0UG7A5. That's uh, on Twitter or Instagram, which is my name, uh, but with so Douglas, but the O is a zero, the L is a seven, and the S is a five. That's brilliant. I love that. Every so easy. Time. So easy. And remember, we're doing a question and answer session at the end of this series. So do send us your questions about Buddhism, about anxiety, about meditation. Yeah, please do. Whatever, about making a podcast, whatever you have, send it through to us us and we will put it on the podcast okay i'm feeling calm i'm feeling mindful i'm feeling centered yeah I'm feeling a little too. bit hungry yeah I can. yeah me too <laughs> me too but it's focusing me but, okay. but it, yeah it's there all right but then we better go so as always thanks everyone for listening thank you very much bye bye